0: Trainumentary. On this episode, we visit with musician and
1: educator, Dave Schroeder. Well, I discovered John Coltrane quite by accident. I grew up in the Midwest in the middle of nowhere in the cornfields. There was no record store around and uh, the only recordings I had were my father's big band records. Well, one day somebody told me that there was a sax player I need to check out named John Coltrane. And so being a a young kid of probably uh, 10 or 11, I go to the library that had no such records. So I, I filled out an order form for any John Coltrane records, and I spelled it C-O-A-L-T-R-A-I-N, and of course nothing came back. So a few years later, I I went on a trip to Omaha, Nebraska, and went to a record store, and here was a whole bin filled with John Coltrane records. So I bought one called uh, John Coltrane, His Greatest Years, figuring, well, this will be his best hits. And so I get home, and it was um, tunes from his later period, mostly free things like uh, Om and uh, Kuluse Mama, and, uh, and I was going, what is this? This can't be jazz, and I dismissed it. It wasn't until years later, I um, was in high school, And I realized uh, my brother had come home from a Woody Herman concert, but he brought home a record, and it was Woody Herman's band from uh, the late 70s called The Thundering Herd, and they had a tune on there called Lazy Bird and I was laying in bed before I had to go to school, and I hear this record, I go, wow, what is that? And I still, for a long time, I didn't know that that was a John Coltrane song. And I was um, completely enamored with the sax solo, and I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Where did this come from? I didn't know until I got into transcribing Train that that was a transcribed solo, that the sax section was harmonized, and it was so beautiful, and Train's approach to music was so clear And dynamic that it made a perfect sax solely for uh, the Woody Herman band. From that point on, I was hooked on training. As a saxophone player, and but more importantly, as the director of jazz studies at NYU, John Coltrane is a um, is an important person to deal with. Uh, somebody like Coltrane was a true original right out of the box. He may have sounded like um, uh, an R and B blues player, uh, maybe when he studied saxophone in the Navy when he was stationed in Hawaii at the Navy Music School. I was told he sounded like charlie parker so all of us have those early uh influences and we all need those early influences you have to sound like somebody before you can sound like yourself so and that's where most of students are most students they they try to emulate their heroes Well, Coltrane was no different. And none of our students are different here, or no music students are different. The key is Coltrane didn't stop. And there were a few people in jazz history that we call innovators. And their innovations were that they continued to to develop and find new approaches to music that allowed them to create an individual voice that was uniquely their own. You drop a needle on a record or turn on a CD or a MP3, and uh, within two seconds you know it's John Coltrane, or you know it's Miles Davis, or you know it's Louis Armstrong. Any of these great artists are great, and we call them great because they've moved forward and created their own path or their own niche of musical expression. Well, one of my favorite albums for just sheer impressive technique is uh, John Coltrane, The Last Train on Prestige, uh, with the first track, Lover, which is at a breakneck tempo. And I actually play this song as an example of, here's John Coltrane, and this is an example of what is known as his shoots of sound which are these amazing flurries of of eighth notes and at very fast tempos. And and this wasn't heard prior to uh, Coltrane. There was nobody. I mean, it's it's the same thing comparing this to Charlie Parker and the new bebop era and strings of eighth notes. And now we have this supercharged uh, approach to uh, chord changes that really revolutionized music.
0: (laughs) ¶¶
1: Many saxophone players, uh, John Coltrane was a fanatic about mouthpieces and um, he would use the link metal mouthpiece. He would constantly be searching for the perfect mouthpiece, the perfect reed, and um, oftentimes he would have somebody work on a mouthpiece and uh, scraping it the wrong way, he w- it would become destroyed. And all of a sudden, he'd be out of his sound, or he'd be uh, disappointed with his sound. Uh, One example, the story that I heard, when he did the Ballads record and the Johnny Hartman record, they were on a rubber mouthpiece because he had destroyed his mouthpiece, trying to make it just a little better and just a little stronger, a little brighter, and, uh, you know, took the wrong step and destroyed it. So he he was always in search of something. Somebody who hasn't listened to John Coltrane and, and knows little but wants to learn more uh, needs to survey his life and listen from the beginning and say, wow, this guy sounds like a, an R&B tenor player. He really comes out of the roots of, of blues and R&B. And then as you fast-forward his life to, to records like um, A Love Supreme interstellar space or expression, you really see a transition from a person who's playing within what uh, the culture expects and a person who's created a new language and has developed something that is very personal, that uh, once he arrived at those final records, there was no way to go back and play for the people. <laughs>
0: For more information on the program, visit trainumentary.blogspot.com.